I wonder what you value most in this world. When you think about your life, is there something that comes to mind that you think, man, I value this as the most precious thing to me in all that I have? You know, I think if we're honest in general as a human people, it's probably three P's that we value. We value our possessions, whether that's our homes, our money, our cars, our gadgets, things that seem to us as very expensive. The more expensive they are, the more valuable they would be. Another P is our, our prestige, or maybe you could call it our power. If you wanted to think about it more in terms of who you are, your name, your respect, your recognition, are people admiring you? That's something that we value a lot. Am I being respected like the way I think I should be? And if our name gets thrown into the mud and if we get slighted or somebody speaks poorly of us, we see how much that hurts us because we value our name so much. Lastly, I think a lot of us would look and say, people, the final P. We value the people in our lives a lot, our spouse, our children, our family members, our friends, our church family. These are some of the things that we, we value and ruthlessly protect them when we have them. We want more of them. You know, we want more friends or better friends. We want more children. We want more money. We want more respect and admiration. And when we do get any sense of these things, we want to make sure we hold on to it and not let anyone take them away. My hope and prayer is that as we look at Psalm 131 in God's Word this morning, that we will be reminded, or maybe for some of you, you will be awakened to something even more valuable than all three of these things. I feel both excitement and sadness as I look at Psalm 131. I feel excited because there's a great hope and anticipation that maybe God will use this teaching of His Word to help reprioritize what is truly valuable, that both individually and corporately there will be the changing of our hearts and minds as we collectively help one another say there's something even better than possessions, prestige, and even the people and the lives around us. So I'm excited. I'm hoping, badly wanting, like, I want this for us. I want this for you and for me. But I feel sad because I realize that so many of us struggle terribly to prize and value something more. We're being robbed of joy and peace in our lives because we don't know what this great, valuable thing is. Or if we do, we have chosen again and again to go a different way. Several times this week while I was reading, studying, preparing to give you this message, I had to just stop, pause, and pray. I just felt like, you know, I could keep reading books, I could keep trying to fix the words just right so that way it tickles your ears and say it eloquently, and I just thought, no, I just want to stop and pray pulled out the church directory that we have, and I just 
looked name by name and just was thinking about the different needs and things that are going on in your lives. And so just as your pastor know, I've wanted to bathe this in prayer to say, God, I want this badly for our people. I know what joy they're being robbed when they don't have this. Several hundred years ago, a Christian author called what we're about to look at in Psalm 131 as a rare jewel. Rare jewel. So what is this rare jewel? What is this valuable thing? Or is it even a thing? What should we be prizing and treasuring even more than our stuff and even our family? To that answer, we look to Psalm 131. That can be found on page 519, all three verses of Psalm 131. And I think it would be wise of us not to think that if these are just three verses that maybe we should just have a very, very short message as well. No, this is important matters. Let's read this together. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Did you see the rare jewel? It's really short. Let's read it one more time. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. One word, I think, to answer the question of what this rare jewel is. I would call it contentment. So what I want to do this morning is I want to explain contentment for a moment. What is this rare jewel of Psalm 131 that I want us to prize and reprioritize and value and make one of the greatest pursuits of our lives? Contentment. Secondly, I want to ask, well, is it too rare? In other words, can we even obtain this? Is this just high and pie in the sky, crazy talk? And number three, what's the secret of getting it? First, what is the rare jewel that I called contentment? Another word you could use, as you obviously see in verse one, that He's talking about not being proud and not having his eyes raised too high. Some translations use the phrase haughty eyes. It just simply means you're not looking down on other people. You don't see yourself as superior to others. So humility could be a good synonym, but I think the psalm is describing someone that isn't just humble, but they're content. Verse 2 says that they're calm and they're quiet. And it's their soul, inner peace. They're not noisy inside, fretting and worrying. They're not busy, busy, busy and obsessed and on edge. 
their to-do list and the pressures of this life and the achievements that they hope to achieve are not consuming them. The psalm is describing someone who has a rightful understanding of ambition. Ambition is fine, but ambition that's churning inside where you just can't get enough power, can't get enough accolades. Failure and despair are not haunting this psalmist. And the anxiety that often plagues so many of us is not leading them into a free fall. See, an inner quiet soul Does any of that describe you? Are you calm and quiet inside? You you could be loud outside. I can be pretty loud, you know? We would all agree to that. Sometimes you get loud. My wife says that. Hey, I'm, I'm right here in the room, Phil. You can talk a little quieter. We're talking not just your external, outward personality. We're talking about your soul. Do you have a soul that has peace inside of it? Probably the more important question is, do you even want that? Do you long for and desire to have a quiet and calm soul? I do. That's why I said I just pause and say, I want us to be like this. And the image that came to me this week was, I want my soul to be like a a solid, large rock that's right by the edge of the ocean, have you guys ever been by an ocean that has massive waves, like big ones? So while I was in college, I played college basketball, and one of the trips we got to take as a team was to go to Hawaii. It was tough. <laughs> Play basketball, go to the beach, go back, go to sleep. So one day, we had a whole free day, and we went to the north shore of the island that we were at where big wave surfing goes on. And there were flags all over the place that say, no swimming. And so what did we young, immature, college-age guys do? Man, we got to go swimming in that thing. So we did. And it was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. I didn't drown. I didn't get close to drowning. But I was tossed to and fro in the water. It was the most powerful waves I've ever experienced. The ones crashing right on the beach were not just these little ripples. The ones crashing right on the beach. These weren't even the ones the surfers were doing. Those were even bigger further out, but these waves were way over my head. And I remember at one point I could stop and just sit in the sand. And the waves would come crashing over me and then throw me out to the, to the ends of, of the shore. And then the, the current and the tide pulling me, it would literally drag all of my weight back in and keep throwing me in and out of the water. I didn't even move. I'd just sit there, and it'd be like a ride. It's powerful water. And experiencing that firsthand, I remember looking over, and there was this rocks all around that were kind of like this, I would say, U-shaped form. And the rocks, as they would get crashed by these big, huge waves, you look at them, and you'd say, there's no way. Those, those waves... They're so big and they're so powerful. They're, they're going to crush the rocks. They're going to be moved around. They're going to be jostled in some form or fashion. I, I know how I felt just being thrown by these waves. But then the water would subside. It would all trickle down and there the rocks would be. Firm. Steady. 
That's the picture I had in my mind this week of this soul that is quiet, that is content, that is unmoved by whatever chaos is going around them. See, the, the waves are these, this chaotic noise. Wouldn't you like to have a soul that is like that rock? That there can be raging storms all around you, but you can have internal peace and contentment. This is what I want for us. And if you don't want it yet, maybe if we flip the psalm on its head, if we flip the script completely, maybe it'll help you say, well, I don't want that. Watch what happens if we read the psalm backwards, like the opposite way, not backwards from three to one, but the exact opposite words. So instead of, oh, Lord, what if we say, oh, self, my heart is proud and I am so obsessed with myself. My eyes are raised high, and I look down on other people all the time. I chase after things that are so great and difficult for me. I'm way over my head. Inside, I am noisy, and I am restless. I am like a hungry infant fussing, screaming on his mother's lap. My soul is like a crying baby. I'm restless with demands and worries, and I scatter all my hope onto anything and everybody all the time. If you didn't like the rock image, I hope you're like, well, I don't want that. Isn't it sad when you see people like this? Isn't it sad, even more sad, when you see yourself like this? What do you think's going on when you think you deserve the promotion or award at work and someone else got it? No, that should have been me. I deserved that. Why do you get angry and frustrated that you don't have the spouse you wanted or won at all? Why is it that we wonder why we don't have those nicer possessions that so-and-so has? What is that in us? It's pride in the form of discontentment. Have you ever thought about the relationship between pride and discontentment? I think that's what's happening in verses 1 and 2. As they're contrasted, you see a soul that is content. You see a child on a, a mother's lap that's not fussing and crying and demanding and asking, give me milk now. Chill. A nice, calm baby. That's what the soul is like that is content and pleased. One author explains verse 1 and 2 by saying, the psalmist is saying, I'm not the kind of person that is looking, comparing, and competing, and never having enough, constantly planning and scheming how I'm going to outdo and outperform those around them. Do you see the mixture of pride and contentment in those words? Outdoing, outplanning, outscheming, comparing. Always got to be better than the person next to you. That's both pride and I don't have enough now. I'm discontent. I think the last phrase of verse 1 is very important for us. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too great. I think the best way to understand this is I know my limits. I know I'm finite. I know I'm not God. There's things that are out of my control. 
And so I can be calm and still and have a soul that is peaceful because I know the one who is in control, and it's not me. Do you know your limits? We're such proud people. We don't like to admit that we have limits. How many of you would just be honest and say, I want to be everywhere all the time doing everything, and I don't like to tell people no? We don't want to admit that, yeah, I just can't do that. I can't do everything. I'm not God. I can't be in all the same places all at the same time. I don't have the capacity or the ability to do everything that's being demanded or asked of me. Most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control what is uncontrollable. You can't have it all right now. Contentment is needed. I thought especially of the ladies in the room today. I feel like the ladies get it the worst from our society and from the the wave of our culture that just wants to continue to chaotically with loud noise tell you you need to be a thousand things all at the same time. Whether you're single or you're married, whether you're a mom or just a wife, I feel like women are being bombarded with saying you have to look a certain way, which means you need to eat and prioritize your eating and your exercise so that you're perfectly in a certain body appearance. You need to be somewhat successful in something, some sort of job or hobby. Whether you're a mom or not, being just a mom is certainly not enough in these days. And your kids, if you have them, they better be perfect or just plain awesome, right? Like, they better be getting scholarships and obedient and they can't be out of line. And by the way, all the while, you need to make sure your house is clean. You need to make sure that everything is tidy and all things are kind of working together for you. And you need to have all kinds of crafts and hobbies that you're good at, etc. I just feel like it goes on and on. And we read these social media accounts and Twitter and Facebook that are just showing us all these people who are doing these things. And we get so many women that are looking at them and being like, oh, see... But don't you realize that maybe if they're strong in one area, that doesn't mean that all these other ones they're doing great at? But we see all of them all at the same time. We think, I got to do all of it now. I got to be all of these things now. You have limits. Some of us here, male or female, we occupy ourselves with things too great like the future. We're anxious and worried about many things, how it's going to turn out. Basically, we're not content with being present in the present, and we're worried and anxious about the future. This is when it gets really sad for me when I think about how this is robbing you of life and joy now. I would love for you to start examining how many hours you have lost in your life because you are anxiously worried about something that's in the future. Jesus says you cannot add even a single hour to your life, so why fret and worry? I am the God who takes care of everything, including the birds and the bees, all of the grass of the field, and all the flowers. Don't they look beautiful, and aren't they well taken care of? Don't I take care of all of them? And aren't you of more value to me than them? So quit worrying. I want you to listen very carefully to this quote. I think this nails it on the head. I want you to see, again, the relationship between pride and discontentment. 
if we insist on knowing exactly what God is doing and what he's going to do with our future, or if we demand to understand what he has done and why things have happened the way they did in the past, you will never be content. You will never be restful. You'll be restless until you finally become equal with God. Did you catch that? If you continue to demand and ask that I need to know how this is going to work out in the future, or I need you, God, or I need you, Pastor Phil, I need to know and I need to understand why this happened this way in the past. The more you keep demanding that, the more your soul will be restless until you finally say, I just basically need to be God. I need to be in control. I need to be the center of knowing everything that's going on. Charles Spurgeon says that we have a better chance of holding all the water of the oceans in our hands without spilling a drop than we will to be able to hold all of the truth of God with our narrow, small minds. You have a better chance of holding all the oceans in your hands than all of the knowledge of God in your mind. Know your limits. Don't occupy yourself with things that are too great and too far. That's why you're so restless inside. That's why there's no peace. There's no comfort. How then do we live the Christian life if there's just so many things that we can't know? Doesn't that leave some of you puzzled? See, this is why I'm, I don't even want to be a Christian. This is why Christianity is so confusing and why is there even a God? The reason why all of us in this room who are Christians is not because we have all of our answers for our future or our past. It's not because we have all of our answers, period. People in this room who are Christians and have been Christians for the last 2,000 years are Christians because there are a few things that they do know. There are some things that we can know, and there's particularly a person that we do know, and through knowing that person and those few things about that person, it makes all the difference in the world about all the unanswered questions that we will never know. We don't understand how God is working out all of the suffering and evil for good. We, we don't know. I can't explain to you why the terrible things have happened in your life so far. I know God works them for good. That's, that's one of the few little things we do know for sure, with certainty. God takes terrible, awful things, and he works them for good. Look at Jesus. The worst tragedy ever on the face of the planet was the greatest and most wonderful display of love and mercy and grace ever. That's what God does, so we can know. We can, we can be a Christian and know, I don't understand how it works but I know that the main big thing, Jesus dying on a cross for my sins, he was a real person, flesh and blood, lived on this earth a perfect life, died a death he didn't deserve, then rose again triumphantly victorious over all suffering. So I can look at suffering and say, I know he does deal with suffering in a way that no one else deals with suffering. He takes it upon himself. See, when you know those things, a few simple things like that, the gospel truths of Christianity, it makes all the difference. Helps you put your hopes and your rest in the future. Helps you look back at your past and see how God can redeem and restore even the most terrible things in your life. 
Corey Ten Boone said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future when you have a known God. You don't have to be afraid. Your soul can be quiet and still. That's what it is. That's my best description for this allotted amount of time of the rare jewel of contentment that I so desperately want you to have. But is it too rare? Can we even have this? Is this idea of being a rock in the midst of the chaotic ocean just, yeah, that's, that's just for when we get to heaven. I want you to look at the psalm one more time and see that it, it's not telling you try hard to do this. The psalm of David, David is describing this is what I'm currently experiencing now. When you read it that way, it makes a big difference on how you think about the possibility of having this rare jewel. He says, my heart is not lifted up and my eyes are not raised too high, which at at one point I just paused and said, that's a strange thing to write. Could you ever imagine writing like, hey, I'm really humble. Be humble like me. Like, doesn't that just immediately disqualify you from being a humble person? But we believe as these words are inspired, David's not trying to say something more than what is truly accurate of himself. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I am not occupying myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I know my limits, but I have calmed. I have quieted my soul. The Hebrew word here that you see in the English translation of your Bible, calmed, is a very interesting word that means to smooth over or even to level. So again, think of the chaos of the sea. And he's saying, I have leveled out the ocean. I, like Jesus, have spoken to my soul in the same way that he spoke to the raging waters and said, peace, be still, and it was still. like a weaned child with its mother. That's that's what my soul is like. He's, He's not saying, try to do this. Strive for this. That's what I'm currently experiencing. This was why we had earlier in the service, our New Testament scripture reading came from Philippians chapter 4. There was a reason for that. This the service that we have before us today is not just accidental or haphazard. Philippians chapter 4, if you are listening very carefully, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, whether I have great needs or I have plenty. He says, I have learned it. I, I learned the secret of contentment. See, here's, here's the answer. Can you have this rare jewel or is it too rare? Yes, you can have it. But you need to realize from verse 2 of our psalm and even from Philippians chapter 4, it takes learning and it doesn't come immediately. It takes time. It's slow. You have to learn it. Contentment is something that doesn't happen instantly. Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm, this is the best summary of this psalm, 131. It is the shortest to read and it is the longest to learn. It's really short but you will spend the rest of your life learning how to grow in godly Christian contentment. You need to realize that the way that you grow in contentment is to be weaned. 
This is a wonderful metaphor from verse 2. A weaning child is someone who is getting moved off of the bottle of milk to solid foods, right? We get the image here? This means that weaning will include God taking from you things that you hold precious, valuable. There will be things that you want now in your flesh and in your heart. I want this now, like a child screaming out and crying, I'm hungry, feed me now, mom. That's what we are like when we are immature before God. Crying and screaming, now, 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 give me, give me, give me now. It's so funny, I think one of the things I've observed even in my own Christian life, as a younger man at this point, but even talking with people who have been Christians for a lot longer than I have, I've observed that over time, it seems like when you're a new believer, you're, you're kind of new in your journey of believing and trusting in God and, and understanding the gospel, it seems like that a lot of times God treats you like a baby infant Christian. And so you ask for something, and he just gives it to you right now, like right away. And all these prayers start getting answered. I've seen this again and again, where people who are new in their faith, God just, there's all these coincidences happening. There's all these strange things like, no way. And they're seeing all of these cool answers to prayer. It's because they're still a baby. But then you see the most mature, godly saint, somebody that's been a Christian for a really long time, and they've been asking for something for years and years and years. And here's the cool thing. They never get it. But they're really content. They're still praising God. They still have joy and happiness and peace. They're full. Do you see the difference between the child who is an infant and immature and just doesn't understand, doesn't know how to communicate, doesn't understand the complexities that mom's busy and has other things to do, and so maybe if you could just hold on for a second. I've tried to do this. I have a nine-month-old at home. John, could you just wait a few minutes? I'll, I'll, I'll warm up your bottle. I just, I want to finish this first. He doesn't get it. I can't, I can't rationally explain to John. Come on, man. I need to finish this. But a weaned child understands and trusts the parent, the mother, the father. and can say, yeah, I'll wait. I know you'll take care of me. I know you'll get around to it eventually in your time and your way. That's the difference. So you can obtain this. You can have this peaceful contentment, but you have to be willing to go through the weaning process, which means there'll be times where you're going to cry maybe even literally, cry tears. God, I want this, and I want it now. A little longer. We'll go from five feedings to four feedings to three feedings to eventually you get on solid food. And you're content. St. Augustine said, Our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in Thee. That's how we get contentment. That's our third point. This is a rare jewel, and it takes time, weaning time, slow, gradual process of God slowly taking away things that we would grab for naturally. I want, I want, I want. Like, No, I'm going to wait. Be patient. But eventually you find 
that you don't just want peace in your life, you want the God of peace. That's verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. How do you get this contentment? What's the secret? It's not a secret like nobody knows. It's a secret because nobody's living this way. It's a secret because it seems like it's veiled and people don't get it. But if we find our hope in God, then we don't even have to get the very thing we're asking for. We get God. Did you notice in our first scripture reading, in Psalm 42, when Joe was reading twice, in verses 5 and verse 11, in Psalm 42, it said, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so at turmoil within me? There's such the opposite of Psalm 131, isn't it? Everything is chaotic inside. And he's looking down inside of himself, and he's saying, what's what's wrong with you? And what was the solution in both verse 5 and verse 11? The solution there in Psalm 42, the solution in Psalm 131, it's the same. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Put your hope, put all of your confidence in the Lord. Put all of your eggs in the Lord basket. You see, contentment is not about your circumstances. Christian contentment is the direct fruit of having a higher ambition, a a higher value, a higher longing than even the very circumstances you want changed. When your heart starts to long more for the God of peace and not just the peace that the God can provide, then you start to experience the true peace and contentment in your soul. Which do you want? Is God going to just be your little butler and go and do whatever you ask to be the the nursing mom that whenever you cry, you should just get it whenever you want? Or will God be the God you're like, no, I just want a relationship with you. I want to know you, the God of peace, not just experience the peace that you can provide in the external circumstances of my life. Health, obedient children, a wonderful servant spouse, male or female. I think this discipline of understanding what this process is like is similar to what Tim Keller calls icing discipline. You guys know what icing is on like cupcakes, cakes? Kids, you do, right? Yeah, we like icing, we like cupcakes. Now, this illustration won't work for some of you, I know. So please just let's try and believe the best in it. It won't work because for a lot of you, when you think of cupcakes or icing, like that's actually the best part, and all I do is lick off the icing and then throw the cupcake away. So if that's you, then this just doesn't work. But if you get the basic idea of icing discipline, it's that you know that icing is good. You like it. It tastes good. It improves the cupcake and cake quite drastically. But at the end of the day, it's just icing. So if somebody wipes it away, and you lose your icing or it falls off your cupcake, well, you still got your cake. You still got the substance. The main thing is the cake. The icing is just the layer on top. So good things when you experience them in this life, when you have the peaceful circumstances all around you, and you're like, yeah, things are good. Things are great. Everything's good with my health and my family and my possessions, and I'm having a peaceful, contentment life. And then those things get taken away. Then you'll know really if you have peace inside. So do you realize that you have the cake 
I still got the cake. Or does losing the icing mean like, well, I just lost everything. My whole life's falling apart. When afflictions come your way, will you be tempted to think that God does not love you? Or will you see this as part of the weaning process to help him, help you love him more? I want you guys to turn with me in your bulletins real quick. Whoa. Maybe don't do that. I want you to look and see the songs that we have sung this morning and will sing are all to try and help you like the psalmist, because this is a song. Psalm 131 is a song, like a hymn or chorus, something to be sung and repeated again and again. Did you notice the words that we've sung, whether they're old words or new words? So these words are from 2002, right after 9-11, and a horrible, chaotic catastrophe happens. Matt Redmond pens these words. Blessed be your name when the land is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Man, good times. But blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I'm walking through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Whether you give or take away, my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. That's the contentment we're seeing in Psalm 131. Turn over to how firm a foundation. When through fiery trials, verse 4, Thy pathways shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Now, all the verses are great, but I think just that one in particular. His grace all-sufficient will be your supply. That's the cake. Things get taken away, you lose your icing. It's okay. His only design is to help grow me, love me through these afflictions. I'm not going to be hurt, just refined. We're about to sing It Is Well With My Soul, a very popular hymn, older hymn, not a newer one. But the reason why I think people love it so much is because of the story behind it. So most of you, I think, know the story, but if you don't, the guy who wrote this hymn down in the bottom, Horatius Spafford. He sent his family ahead of him to England or somewhere in Europe on a boat back before airplanes. And a great storm comes on and all of his kids die. His wife sends back home a telegram saying simply, I'm the lone survivor. So he has to take a boat to go meet his wife and during that long journey from the United States over to Europe, he crosses over the waters, maybe the very same waters where his kids were drowned at the bottom of the ocean, and he writes these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. But look at this second verse. Why? Like, verse 1 makes sense, doesn't it? Verse 1, considering the circumstances of knowing you just lost your children. Your world is kind of crumpled down and falling apart. But he says, whether it's peace like a river or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever it is, it is well with my soul. It is well. I have, I have peace in my soul. But, but what about this next line? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. 
is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh my, what does that have to do with losing your children? Why in the world do these words come to this man's mind in the middle of such terrible difficulty? They have everything to do with losing your children. Everything. When afflictions come your way, you'll be tempted to think God is against you, not for you. You'll be tempted to think God is punishing you, not loving you. And you will try your best to try and make sense of all of the evil and suffering that happens in this world. And you will struggle. And when that temptation comes, you need to put your hope in the Lord like he does. Hope in the Lord, the Lord who knows what it's like to lose all his children or his only child, Jesus. See, when you see verse 3, hope in the Lord, you need to insert in it all the storyline of Scripture that the Lord, the God of the Bible that we're to hope in, even in the midst of losing all our children, is the God who lost his only child, Jesus Christ. And it didn't happen by accident or involuntarily. It happened voluntarily. The gospel of the storyline of Scripture is that the God that we should put our hope in is the God who knows what it's like to suffer, who knows what it's like to lose and be hurt. So therefore, we can say, hope in the Lord. It is well with my soul. And then the last final line. So Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight, when the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Do you see the progression from verse 1 to verse 2 to verse 3? Some terrible things are happening. Sorrows like sea billows are rolling but I can say it is well because my sin, oh, the bliss of the glorious thought, is nailed to the cross. The God of the Bible has nailed himself to the cross so that I can experience peace and joy and know that the last line is going to come true, that Lord haste the day because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The Lord that we hope in, there is a happy ending to the story. He makes all things new. He restores anything we lost. All sad things become untrue. Sorrow might last through the evening, but joy will come in the morning. Friends, I hope and pray that today might be the first of many days that you take up learning contentment. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we want to give you thanks for your word this morning, and not just the word itself. We want to thank you for being the God of the word, that you give us yourself. Not just the peace that you offer us, but you are the God of peace, and we're so thankful that that is infinitely better or more valuable than any possession that we could have on this earth, even the most dearest and loved ones, our family, our friends, our spouse. We can have hope. We can be like a rock. We can be content. Thank you, God, that this is not pie-in-the-sky talk. This is reality that we can experience slowly and surely as you wean us from the things of this world. As we stop fussing and crying and begging and demanding for answers, 
but trust and know that we have you and you have all the answers. God, help us to trust you now and put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to finish by singing this